Hello everyone, it's yours truly again. Welcome back to the No Holds Barred Witchcraft Podcast. I don't know how the audio quality is going to be, it just seems a little echoey for some reason today. I'm not entirely sure why, maybe it's all of the magical stuff I've been doing. Seems to have affected the room somewhat. It just feels empty, like a vacuum or an abyss. But there we go. Hopefully you're listening. It is October, though. It is October, you're right. That might also have something to do with it. Um, So today we are going to do a podcast on one specific TV show. And no, it's not the one that you've been emailing us about and asking us to do a podcast on. We will get around to that one at some point. This one is on the BBC miniseries Dracula that we've both watched. I've watched it twice that I've heard mixed things about, but that I personally really, really like. I really, really recommend. It's a three-parter um, Dracula miniseries on the BBC. We're going to have a little chat about it. The first thing I'm going to ask you, Chris, is are you one of those people that like it or did you dislike it? I really, really liked it. Yeah, Although, that's the correct answer. That is the correct answer. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, I don't know, I really liked it because it was, um, I, don't, I just found it really easy to watch. Um, although I didn't watch it when it came out on the BBC, I think I watched it on Netflix. Uh, I, I, watched, I remember when it came out, I watched it when it came out and lots of other people were talking about it. Um, but I was always an episode behind, which was a bit annoying. Oh, okay. So I have to say they did a really, really good um, one from it. There's a, quite a few usable quotes from it as well. Um, Blood is lives is yeah, possibly quite like my that one. favourite. Or the um, Do You Hear Them, The Night Children. <laughs> the children of night something like that but yeah. we'll talk about both of those things and more but first do you want to give a explanation because i'm sure people have heard of dracula and probably watched different um film adaptations and that of dracula do you want to give a brief overview of the storyline of the bbc miniseries dracula because it's a lot different than other adaptations out there um and then i'll just talk over you random bits when I get triggered. Oh, okay. okay. So <laughs> what you something inspires me. What you normally do. Because I feel like you've left out an important bit. <laughs> it's like what I normally do, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, yeah, where I'm too vague and you have to specify. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. Yeah, so three, three-parter. Um, a story, the story is the typical usual thing, which is um, the battle between um, Count Dracula and his his frenemy um, uh, Van Helsing, which in this one, which is why I think I like it so much, uh, is a Dutch nun, which I think is just brilliant. Um, She's think, got an amazing accent. She is it's just incredible. Like, I think the opening scene is by far the best part of the entire three episodes, to be honest, where she's sat with this half-dead... Um, I think he's supposed to be Mr. Harker, isn't he, from the original? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
where he's gone to stay. He's a solicitor that's gone to deal with his um, his what do you call it? I want to say account then, but not what I meant. Basically, Dracula's assets. So assets, Dracula yeah. is some creepy old aristocrat in some weird castle in the middle of nowhere and he's a british lawyer yeah dracula's planning on moving to the new world which is britain Britain. england yeah so he's been requested or sent over by his boss essentially to help dracula out yeah and then um and then yeah and then obviously you basically the first episode is that in backwards isn't it you meet them as he's turning into a vampire and you spend that first whole episode um, discovering how he became one but what's brilliant that you know well you don't though do you well not dracula anyway you don't you don't really know the origins of dracula but you he basically the interesting thing is that of course he he is old so he's old dracula and then he starts feeding on this lawyer the lawyer doesn't really realize what's going on yeah so dracula's almost constructed or got someone to construct this castle which is laid out in such a way that it's all very confusing you never quite know where you are and i think he does say you know you're welcome to leave any time if you can find the exit exit, or if you can leave because even if you got out of the castle you're in the middle of the forest in the middle of nowhere so it's got that kind of very it's got that escher feel about it isn't it whether it's like all the um all the pathways lead to other pathways that turn and twist back on themselves etc but yeah it's yeah. I, I read i the first episode's really good i only had to close my eyes once and that's when there was down in the basement and you've got all those kind of um uh, other vampires locked in boxes and you're just yeah, like so they're gonna get him they're gonna get him they're gonna get him the way it kind of works in this um, and you won't want to listen to this podcast at all if you plan on going and watching it, because we're going to spoil it all for you. Yeah. Um, so the spoiler alert is this entire podcast. Now, if you do want to listen, you want to listen to our magical take on it as well, then you can, but you will it will spoil it all for you. So sorry, but not sorry. Um, basically, Dracula is old, and he we're not entirely sure how old he is, but he's hinted that he was... Um, uh, Vlad the Impaler, I think it was, because he basically says that he was a warlord and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But he, when he feeds on the blood of people and humans, some strange things happen. One is the fact that obviously Dracula becomes younger and more youthful, although stops anti-aging at a certain point. So essentially almost, what would he be? Would he look like in his thirties? Is he supposed yeah. to be in his thirties, kind of forties, that kind of thing? Um. But also he absorbs the knowledge of the person that he drinks the blood off of, which is very interesting. We must delve into that because, of course, blood is lives, um, which is quite interesting because obviously in it he makes the joke of um, the guy says, I don't think you you said that properly because he was kind of saying you're English. You you don't understand. It's not lives, it's life. And he said... No, it's lives. <laughs> um, yes, that's what I meant. Not lives, life. When actually, you know. Anyway, let's stop going off on a tangent. <laughs> so basically, another thing that happens is if he feeds on you, you become undead yourself. So it's kind of almost like this disease, this, this disease kind of thing that transfers. So your corpse and your body will deteriorate, but 
you're still alive. So even when you're basically create zombies, I suppose, is it fair to say? Yeah, we kind of, uh, what I really like about this series is I think it kind of takes the best parts from all the other kind of movies that have gone before and shows that have gone before yeah. that takes their bits of their mythology uh, and makes it in. So like, you know, there is that modern series called Van Helsing on Netflix that it uh, where it describes it as a contagion which is exactly what yeah. that is in in that and then you've got versions where like the blood is lives part clearly comes from the um oh what's it called what's my favorite ones with celine oh we kate beckinsale come on what are they called i don't know i don't know what you're talking about Although it's only possibly the best version of the vampire story. Um, I don't know, but we're going to have to edit un- this Underworld. Part. Underworld. Because the you're underworld. useless. Because you are, and I'm going to drop the first one, f***ing useless. Hey, I'll have no f***ing swearing on this podcast. Thank you so, very much. Yes, Underworld. There's only five of them out of the seven that they originally planned. Um, but yeah. So they they use that that kind of um, methodology in that where um, when you drink the blood of another, you can absorb their memories and see see through their eyes all of their all their memories. So that's kind of stolen from there. Um, and then there's well, I don't know. Some would say that's stolen from stolen from actual blood sorcery and necromancy itself. But let's not give away too much yet. Let's carry <laughs> on talking about what actually happens in the in the documentary. Oh, not documentary, sorry. <laughs> in the BBC <laughs> fiction show, Dracula. <laughs> oh, I, almost, I accidentally almost dropped one there, didn't I? Um, so, yeah, basically, the lawyer starts to die, uh, starts to be turning into this vampire kind of dead corpse thing he just gets older and older and older and weaker and weaker and more confused but he's trying to find someone he thinks is in the castle that isn't dracula because he can hear and knows that there's someone in a room that is above his but because of the layout of the castle you can't just keep walking up the stairs because there's lots of secret entrances and secret passageways i was talking to our lady poison today in the coffee shop we were talking all about a little bit about this because she's not going to watch it because she doesn't have a television. Um, but I also we were talking about secret passages and various places we've been that have had secret passages and stuff. We'll have to do a podcast on secret passages, I think, okay. um, at some point. But yeah, it, it was one of those things which he's kind of wandering around trying to find this person. Dracula likes to do little experiments to see what can happen he ends up turning a baby into a kind of undead thing and he's trying to make a wife i think isn't he well yeah it's again it's another one of those the brides the brides of of dracula is one of those those stories i'm not sure if it's in the original bram stoker or not but the uh, it's an in it's in another one of those amazing films that has kate beckinsale in that one called van helsing um where he's his experiments are to try and create a bride so he can actually procreate right because he's not happy with the zombie like animalistic behavior they don't where they lose lose part of what makes them human i guess 
He's the he's well, the most really human of them, aren't they? Don't they? Yeah. Yeah, because so he's he's basically human and fairly refined, whereas they just turn into like animalistic zombies, basically, and don't yeah. have much of a personality or something. So he's it doesn't really share his methods as to what he does. But he is basically experimenting and has been experimenting to try and almost recreate himself in another. And he gets very close with this um, this lawyer, essentially. But the lawyer kind of turns on him and doesn't want to be a, a vampire. So he ends up trying to kill himself, but it doesn't really work out. Um, so that basically all happens in the first episode, doesn't it? Yeah. So, and then the second episode is about him on a boat getting trying to get to england and then the third one is set in the future where it's round two with van helsing's descendant yeah so uh in number essentially number one it starts to get to the point where obviously this whole thing happened with the lawyer in the castle van helsing she's hot on his tail um i can't remember whether he ends up burning yeah he burns down the, the convent in the first one doesn't he yeah, basically kills all those nuns in the first one, but it's what there's a couple of really interesting points. But I've got really we've got to continue with the rest of the storyline to put it all into context first, I guess. So the the boat one, the second episode is the one everyone says is a little bit boring. However, there's some really important information in there, um, that I think people miss. One is the fact that obviously he has very carefully selected the passengers and crew yeah. of the boat based on their flavors. He... Well, it's not. Yeah, I think, what I think that's causes their flavors, what he calls their flavors, but... which is their knowledge and their history, which is what's quite but cool. To say what what basically what he kind of um, hints at, he says you are what you eat. So basically, because he absorbs them, he changes. So what he kind of mixes is common people that might taste good and be interesting, but also more refined people. Because if he just ended up feeding on commoners and scumbags, he'll end up becoming that himself. Yeah. So what he tries to do is he like gets um, upset because he uh, apparently one of the world's leading doctors is on board and he wants to acquire his medical knowledge of science. And he doesn't manage to get that. He gets very upset that the doctor ends up dying, essentially. Um, but yeah, he very carefully collects, uh, um, selects the crew and the passengers. And the idea really is because he's moving to England at that point, and it takes a while because you don't can't fly easy jet back then, um, or turn into a bat and fly with all your cargo and that. But it basically he's trying to teach himself restraint on feeding so not only is he refining himself to enter into british society kind of like a foreign aristocrat but also he's trying to accumulate the knowledge but also trying to stop himself from overfeeding i guess um what actually happens is the nun obviously ends up catching up with him and they end up having to sink the boat with dracula on it um in order to stop him from getting to the new world which sort of eventually does kind of happen and Dracula ends up getting shoved in a coffin and, and chucked overboard essentially um well that's not exactly what happens but he ends up spending a long time in a coffin in uh, lying on a bed of dirt from uh, his home country until a diver comes along 
and he ends up biting the diver and essentially reanimating back in the into the future. So then it jumps, and people don't like the jump. A lot of people don't like the jump, but having a vac, uh, having a Dracula be taken from back in what was it, seventeen hundred, something like that. Yeah. 1700s to the 21st century and trying to work out what a mobile phone is and having to feed on people to learn how gadgets work <laughs> is quite amusing. Um, but then essentially he essentially tries to, to continue his research and, and create a, a new bride or a better bride or actually get the bride thing to work and take over the world at one point as you do as well. Um, and there's this kind of secret-ish, secret society of scientists that are trying to stop him and study him. More trying to study him than stop him, I would say. But, you know, all of this kind of stuff is, is, is quite comic, I think. It's more comic in the last episode than in the other episodes. But he doesn't do it in a... I don't think they do it in a chintzy way. I think it's actually quite clever what they do. And you have to pick up on the subtle things. Um, in there and the funny little lines and stuff like that because the main things that you're trying to work out is one where did he come from two what's this thing about blood all about three what what parts of the vampire lore and that kind of thing actually work because you know there's this whole rigmarole of he's scared of the cross and all that kind of thing but he doesn't believe in god or jesus or anything like that and it's kind of hinted at well you are what you eat again therefore if you're eating people that are scared of that or think that it has power then you're going to be scared of that and think that it has power but at the same time there's an interesting scene where he meets the first atheist and he gets to eat the first atheist and then you know because of the disbelief that helps him cross some of these barriers the the people that he absorbed or at his religious beliefs obviously affect him so all of a sudden you can start to change and then of course you think you understand how the process works and then it just gets flipped on its head yet again at the end it's just a brilliant series i think uh yeah i like it because i think it is exactly that it is this experimentation of what law is actually true and less about which like a test of which works which you get very much in a lot of them where you kind of like it's an experiment of how of ways to try and kill him whereas actually yeah. in this one you get kind of van helsing's job is to basically psychoanalyze and understand exactly why these things affect him in that way and it it, it goes to a very kind of ego id version at one point where you start to talk about uh kind of actually the reasons these things affect him is because of him not because yeah. of some kind of curse or whatever which is what other people try you know they didn't step anywhere near the kind of deal with the devil or anything like that which i found was really odd because they kind of on lots of the other versions they focus on that don't they um and then i quite liked their kind well, of twist secular isn't it it's that kind of approach but not being too well it's just a virus it's always you thinking well yeah, that's why i think it, it, it uh, appeals to the kind of occultist and the mundane seeking magic and the scientist because all of these people are kind of satisfied yeah i think viewer wise 
I just well, yeah. I suppose because we're we're nearing the end of the podcast actually. So the two things I think we need to talk about is probably a little bit about blood sorcery, and also possibly one of my favourite scenes when he's with his new bride in the the graveyard, and he says about can you hear the children of the night what wonderful music they make and then he gets her to put her ear to the ground and you can hear all these corpses and people screaming to let be let out of their coffins or to die in that what about this resonates with you from a magical perspective is there any hidden knowledge in it like some sorcerers and magicians and occultists would have you believe what is this thing of blood being lives and do you walk into a graveyard and hear screaming? <laughs> okay. Where do you want me to start on those? A blood sorcery well, is an interesting... Start, start wherever you like. A blood sorcery is an interesting one. Um, especially, you know, it will be a particularly interesting one for me because I have absolutely no interest in it. But it's, yeah. uh, um, it is an obsession that lots of people have. It's very much the kind of necromantic dream kind of situation. Um, With people that are very grounded in physicality, isn't it? Yeah, that there is some, you know, this blood, which I guess has some kind of um, part in in play, in the sense that you know DNA and all that kind of stuff being genetic coding that links you to your ancestors biologically. I can kind of, mm. I can kind of understand that. Um, and I quite I, like I think it's something you said at another point, not particularly today, um, but that kind of thought of um, I was I, I think no, I did. I asked before this, before we started on air about why it's a stake through the heart. And you were saying about, you know, heart and the soul uh, connection and these kind of rivers of stories, which kind of, I suppose, would then link metaphysically to karma and and past life etc i suppose lifeblood is is one of those phrases you've got lots of those of those phrases that kind of hint at the metaphysical um well uh, yeah i think blood sorcery and necromancy and the people that practice that they practice that because they operate slightly different than what we do the interesting thing, I think, is the approach that you'd probably take because our approach is very different. Now, when it comes to blood sorcery and necromancies and necromancers, there's the type that deal a lot with the Saturnine current, with death, that kind of thing. No problem with that. I deal with that myself. What a lot of people think and are drawn into is anchoring themselves to the physical plane. So when you look at a lot of ritualistic magical practices you see this idea of grounding yeah and of course it's really important grounding but what you need to remember is that if you do if you go too far with the grounding theory and the grounding approach what you're talking about is keeping yourself weighed down to the physical world what i see a lot of blood sorcerers and necromancers do is trying to have them currently their current um, personality and that live on after they die and be reincarnated within a bloodline and that can yeah. stagnate them cause knock-on effects from their bloodline in that whereas we don't do that we don't anchor ourselves to the physical world we're anchored somewhere else and our bodies are really just 
the end of a tendril, one of many tendrils, I suppose. <laughs> Is that a good way yeah. of putting it? Yeah, yeah. Um, apart from the fact that that makes us sound like the Hydra from uh, uh, from is it the DC comics or the Marvel comics as the you know the evil? <laughs> I think I've been called worse. <laughs> Cut off one Cut head off and one two head grow and back. Two more grow back. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not untrue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just I, I suppose I think that's probably the part like you say, that bothers me more than anything is because I wouldn't want to root myself for that long, particularly in a human existence of all places. Like, come on. But anyway, um, without going too far down the rabbit hole about that, the, um, yeah, I, I guess there is that kind of necromantic blood blood uh, sacrifice, that all part of, um, all part of that kind of necromantic work that kind of seems to steep into the mythology of of Vlad, uh, or Dracula, rather. Um, yeah. I I quite like some of the other parts of the of the theory, but I I won't go down that because it's kind of off off topic. Um, oh, okay. So, well, we've we don't have that long, and obviously we're supposed to be focusing on this version. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's true. But equally, you've got the kind of blood sorcery going on, which they don't touch in that kind of, like you say, keeping within a bloodline part where she comes back, this kind of reincarnation within within the same bloodline where she's actually got Mm. access to her memories. Yeah, but there's there's the difference, though, because he has... um, You see this in magic. You see this with this sort of magic. He has been doing a lot of experimentation, but he isn't getting any further. He gets a little bit further, but needs extra input, like the Borg they need to assimilate to learn Star Trek. Whereas she's outside of this, she's a new person, she's coming from a different approach, she's taken what he's learned, and then she's improved on it. So he understands some some, some of the secrets of blood work, blood sorcery. She doesn't understand any, but she's taken his knowledge from observation essentially and yeah. trial and error and creatively added some of her own flair to it and has gone further that you know that 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 is the secret of how covens and traditions are supposed to work well, you're yes. always supposed to out, um you know exceed the knowledge of your master who the coven members that teach you the next generation is supposed to become more powerful and knowledgeable and Done that is previous. another key to the reincarnation thing isn't it you don't want to stagnate yourself you want to grow as a thing and if you're trying to put a stopper on that by only ever wanting to stay as a human well you're gonna be putting a stopper on that but what about the night children tell me about the night children okay (laughs) well i really do like the thing when she's uh she's in the uh yeah he basically says whatever you do don't um uh what is it where they burn people yeah, don't yeah, don't cremate yourself. Yeah, don't get a cremation. She's like, Oh, I'm getting cremated, I'm not gonna be buried. She's yeah, like, yeah. Don't get cremated. You <laughs> just don't do it. And then she ends up not changing her will and ends up getting cremated and she's just there screaming in the furnace. Yeah. Brilliant series, I have to say. I'm very much my cup of tea. 
But what about this, uh, you know, the well, kind yeah. of idea of being trapped in your body as you're decomposing? He plays, he's playing with the idea that's still going down the kind of contagion route, isn't it? That actually, yeah. um, that there is no cure and death isn't, ne- unless you kill them right, is not a cure. So it seems to be that the only ones successfully, the only peop- person successfully killing uh, his creations is himself. The rest of yeah. them are making the mistake of putting them in coffins, doing the whole Victorian kind of nail uh, through the heart um, with an iron iron stake kind of thing into the coffin. And then actually, um, they're not actually dying at all. They're just asleep. Um and actually, they've buried all these people technically still alive with this contagion. Um, and yeah, well, he does say that's the secret of the Undertaker. The Undertakers don't know, but they all know that the things that they bury are all still alive. Yeah, you know, it's kind of well, that's a little bit creepy. But I've I've known that quite a few people that have experiences with that with their first couple of experiences with the Death Current and that even a well-known witch that I can't say. Um, had a very big fear of that kind of thing. And there's ideas of you being buried and what if you're trapped there and you are feeling all of the maggots squirming around inside you and all that kind of thing. It's a fear for a lot of people and there are a lot of path workings that people do to get over that fear. Um, And it's something that you can do. I've done it. But I didn't do it for the reasons of making someone suffer. I did it for other reasons. Um, but yeah, trapping someone within their body. Yeah. Um, after they die, so they feel everything. <laughs> but I think we're out of time now for the podcast. Well, I don't know, because technically you're going to have to cut lots of bits. Well, there's only a couple of bits I've got to cut, and we're free 30, so it's probably gone. Do you want to continue on for extra bits? How long have you got? You've got another 15 minutes, haven't you, before you yeah. getting apples. Saturnine apples, or mercurially saturnine apples, I should probably say. Yeah, so that needs to happen. So, yeah, you've got you've got some bonus time, but not much. So, what okay. do you, where do you want me to cross the line today? I don't know. Where are we missing um, from the, the Vlad thing? I mean, you could talk about creating zombies and stuff like that. A zombie powder and that kind of thing, but most people are aware of that nowadays. I'd have thought, yeah, more research been done into that. Well, that's um, the thing. I, that's I think partly why I distaste, I have a dis- certain level of distaste for necromancy, is it's so mainstream. <laughs> is that it's kind of like is that elitist? Is, thing well, probably. You've got to keep your elitism in check. Probably, but it's just one of those things where you just I. I don't, I don't see what all the fuss is about. That's the part. We're like, you know, the same way I, I don't see what all the fuss, the fuss is about love and light. But, you know, it's just one of those things that kind of is so mainstream. It's kind of like, why are so many people obsessed with this? Because it's been a taboo for uh-huh. a long time. Don't get me wrong. I love Dracula movies and anything kind of Dracula related. But then my name is Christopher Lee. So, you know... I was called Little Drac <laughs> until I was 10. So, you know, I, I kind of have that forced... I don't think that was the reason why you were there, was it? I have that forced it's upon me. the only reason. <laughs> um, what are you trying to say? 
Um, I really don't think the listeners need to know anything more about that. Um, but yeah, I just I, I love everything about it. I like the mythology. Um, obviously, I did do some of my research before this because there were other parts, similarities that seem to go through all sorts of things which are not actually mentioned in this one. And one of them is the, the wooden stake. There is no kind of focus on the wooden stake in, in this version at all. Well, it doesn't work, does it? No. Because she, um, she, I don't think she gets Dracula, does she? She gets the, um, oh, what's his name? The, the, that man that Dracula turns. Yeah. And it basically makes him keel over. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it does get him. I, I forget. No, it does get him, doesn't it? It's just the fact that I think that he comes back to life, but it's not. Dracula just peels his face off and uses it yeah. as a mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. So it does work, doesn't it? It does, it does work, but he kind of says... Yeah. He says something about it being really specific, though, doesn't he? And I can't think what what it was. But it wasn't very kind of make sure you hit the heart. It was, it was kind of like... <laughs> For lack of a better word, something about the intention. Um, oh, intention is everything. So that he was, yeah. Do you know? Do you remember what I mean? Like there was that part where, yeah, when he tries to get his, get him to eat his wife, that one, um, and he says something about about the position of and how we, how you have to be in order to kill them. But yeah, it's it's one of those really st- strange things where that you've got the kind of the sunlight and the the crosses and all that kind of stuff but that it's all ego id and then it's actually his own set of head, fears it? it's all in his head it's all actually yeah. none but of these things do damage so him ago. yeah it's so hidden um he buries it so deep inside that he forgets it himself that's the thing isn't it which i'm sure that's what you're supposed to do with shadow work isn't it I suppose. Yeah, let's talk about shadow work. Isn't that the point? I kind of think that, but that was my point that I was trying to make subtly there, is the fact that actually, yeah, there is that kind of psychology and, and, and shadow work-esque feel about the way that she's reading him um, and mm. that w- what she's trying yeah. to make him understand. Like, because mm. you, get, you get to the end of the last one and it's very kind of like, I'm going to tell you all the things I know about you kind of feeling at the end yeah. uh, when she's she's literally dying um but she's quite it's happy not even technically her is it it's a combination no. of her and her is it great 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 aunt yeah something like that but they yeah. obviously look the same because it's the same actress but then you can see i like it because you said about it when we spoke uh, before about it where it's sort of dressed from the modern day woman and then her accent just gets thicker and thicker and it goes yeah. back to the non-talking. Yeah. And he notices, you can see it in him, like he twigs, it's kind of like, hmm, you've done something with that blood vial sample I've given you. Yeah. <laughs> and you just, yeah, and you just kind of like, because there is a part of um, of the, the nun in Dracula and therefore the blood sorcery works for her too. Um, which hasn't yeah. hadn't worked on any of his other in experiments, um, but seemed to matter because she knew kind of how it worked somehow. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just I, th- I think she was amazing. The Dutch nun was just incredible. Um, uh, you know, particularly at the beginning, when she, in the first episode, when you get to the end of this kind of storytelling, and she goes. 
oh, that's all very interesting. And he goes, but you've already read this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just, he's written over and over again, something like a, a blood is bloody's lies or uh, lives or something like that over and over again i think he what had he written like it was something to do with dracula dracula is the i was gonna say dracula is the greatest or dracula is the one or something like that it was kind of creepy creepy in a kind of idealistic fantasist kind of sycophant way and i quite like how they manipulated the um the wolf thing because in all the others they kind of try and play this um werewolf as the uh van helsing and and the werewolf and all that kind of part in a lot of other storylines um from different movies that do their version and whereas with this one he's able to change shape um and be kind of wolf which kind of hints at the devil stuff without actually being ever mentioning the devil which i think is quite cool um and kind of mentioned he he can um manipulate animals animals do as well but there's only certain animals that he likes to use so he likes to use bats and manipulate bats he's used wolves yeah and he was a dog when he was a black dog yeah um and that, that was all quite interesting But again, what do you think they'll do? Because it's technically kind of open so they could make another one. Do you think they do a prequel and do Origins of Dracula? Or do you think they'll carry on? Because it would be interesting if they both woke back up again, wouldn't they? I don't think they will. I think they'd intentionally left it as do whatever you like with this. I don't don't think there was actually... I think it was a complete mini-series and they're not going to come back to it at all. Um which is gutting because she's amazing. Um, And to be honest, he was kind of the perfect blend of the kind of camp Dracula with the really kind of pervy, gross Neferatu kind of version all going on at once. Um, Which he was, he was really good. He was really good. Really good. Yeah. It it definitely, it, it nodded towards all of the previous Draculas before. Yeah. And he really, yeah, it's almost like he drank their blood and sort of <laughs> poured them into his role. But it was good. I mean, what about... Because we don't know much about her origins. Clearly, for some reason, she's a nun and has a speciality subject of dealing with this and vampirism in general. So what about a series that's just about the nun? That would be interesting. Yeah, that would be quite good. Kind of how, you know, how to train a nun kind of situation. I think even as just like one one kind of episode would have been good um just a special yeah either a two-part special or a short film yeah or something. something like that that would be great but yeah what were the other parts of the the middle bit that you didn't like or, or did like because like you said lots of people complained On about the boat. the boat bit not being necessary and i quite I enjoyed that when i watched the boat uh, episode the first time round, I felt it was a bit just too long, yeah. too long-winded. When I watched it second time around, I liked it a lot more because I think that within the first episode, there's so much going on that you kind of it sets the pace that you're expecting. But actually, pretty much everything in the second episode is just subtlety. The only real storyline is the fact that he's getting from 
um, uh, Europe basically over to England. That's the main storyline there. Everything else is kind of subtle hints. So it's that episode is the episode really I think the person I was watching it is supposed to draw their conclusions. Yeah. At little hints and try and, you know, uh, make you think along certain lines so that they can throw it all out in the last episode. Yeah. There's kind of, they're playing with that kind of time and stretch out in order to get you to soak in all the things you learned in the first one because they were thrown at you so quick um i don't know because like for me i really enjoyed the middle one the the second the the last one was really good but for me that dragged more than it should have done like there was this like it was all build all build from the start right till all of it happens right at the end Mm. Uh, which was fine like I you know it, it didn't take away from anything from it but if I was going to look at one of them kind of being when actually it didn't need to be that long it's probably the th- uh, probably the third one for me the second one I quite liked but because I liked the details of what he was trying to do with those mm. particular skill sets and focusing on actually the fact that actually if he was to dine only on I just find that a really interesting concept. It's almost like the memories, although he's absorbing the memories, they don't last. Yeah. Which is really odd because, like, it, like I say, with other. Well, he he drinks a lot more though, don't he? So he co- keeps talking about savoring the taste and yeah. absorbing the knowledge slowly, whereas in the future it's too gluttonous. So he just goes and eats an accountant. Yeah. drinks an account of blood and stuff like that and it's all kind of like he's less he he understands enough to know when well, i'm gonna you know go for this go for that and absorb it it seems like back here originally he is basically being appreciative of things that are rare and things that people don't happen across his, his castle very often so in the last one he's kind of like would you would you liken it to back in the day magical practitioners would take grip as a book and really study it nowadays they've got loads of hundreds of thousands of pdfs they've downloaded for free and never even read half of them yeah no no, no it's, definitely it's, it's that kind of thing and you can draw a lot of parallels i think well it's but also one of the things that i also noticed is the fact that the first one is very much a lot like the um original sort of films it's got that kind of feeling to it how it works the middle one reminds me a lot of the sort of shows that you'd get in the 1990s and 2000s yeah you know, it's late night shows about vampires and it's kind of like this standalone weird kind of thing that doesn't have a start but doesn't have an end yeah and then you've got the last film is like the sensationist kind of Van Helsing films with big budgets and that nowadays. Yeah, Bishop, you know, flashback yeah. wallop. I don't know whether that's intentional. I presume it's not, and I've just read into it too much. Well, possibly. Like, there is that kind of feel about it was all... There were three films that were almost like, this is this is a, um, a 101 series on everything you need to know about Dracula. Like it was it had that yeah. real feel to it that was kind of like, you know It lived up to the name. It did, it really did. And just that actually they've put so much of the lore in um and tried to deconstruct it all at once. Um it's, it's a beautiful series, like I, I But 
but does that now kind of feel like Dracula's finished? It's kind of like the compendium <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Or do you think there's still ways in which Dracula can can move? Because you've got the old-fashioned magic stuff in the older ones. You've got the devil stuff, like you've mentioned before. You've got the contagion sciencey stuff. I don't think we've seen... No, we've seen Dracula as an alien as well, I think, in some, where it's been alien yeah. pathogens and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got the Twilight kind of thing. You've got um, quite a lot of that kind of stuff, where what what is next for Dracula and vampirism in general? At least your stereotypical vampirism. I mean, now vampirism's a lot different in the real world, but like your Dracula-style vampire... What's left for that? I don't know, because I even managed to, with the the originals, convert it into this kind of Scandinavian um, magic system. So I I don't know. Mm. I think they'll always find some other way to do it. I think all it's done is kind of prove how much depth there is to one mythology. Yeah. But I'm not quite sure why, why people like it so much in some ways. Like... It's Why is it so classic? It's, for one, it's the blood thing. And whenever you get involved with blood in general, it makes people squeamish. It is the life force. It's a mysterious thing. It kind of is a sacred thing. And even to this day, you know, whether you work with blood as a doctor, that kind of thing is still, you know, um, it's still a big thing. But also the thing with vampires, particularly, if you look at any vampire thing that comes out, um, and I'm not, I haven't noticed this, this was a psychologist that told me this. Whenever you look at a vampire show, book, anything like that, the form of the vampire takes the form of what people are suspicious of and scared of at the time. So you'll find that the original ones were all very aristocratic. And then more modern ones started to become to become a little bit more animalistic. Newer ones are always contagions. Yeah. And it's kind of this thing which the group mind of people or the common threads of what's scary in Western society anyway tends to look like vampires. Yeah. You know, and then the romance things come in with vampirism around when romance really starts, which is going to be a controversial thing. But yeah, another thing I was talking about at the pub was uh, marriages and how marriages were never really a love thing. It was a contract. Contract of convenience. Yeah, to keep uh, money in the family or to get money if your fortune is a dwindling. Yeah. That actually loves more of a 21st century, 20th, 21st, 20th century kind of thing. And then that's when you start to see that come in vampirism. You've got Twilight and the kind of brooding, hot, mysterious man, that kind of thing. Not saying that Robert Patterson's hot, but he's certainly brooding and feels sorry for himself. But before we kind of end up, because we could literally turn this into a mini-series on different versions of vampire, uh, different versions of Dracula, to be quite honest... Uh, and what different groups have done with their law. Um, the on, the only bit that kind of sticks out for me um, as interesting is it, which I didn't I didn't notice until I was kind of doing a bit of background before this um, was ha- this kind of mountain ash thing, and I don't quite. Oh yeah, you were saying something about that. Yeah, like I um, 
I always kind of miss, you know, they make part it's such a big thing of it in the originals. Uh, and yeah. it never white mountain ash white it? mountain ash that never bothered me and i couldn't quite i un- think it's, it's isn't that a scandinavian thing is that a mm-hmm. european thing yeah i think so it's obviously one of those which it's it, white mountain ash is rowan uh which is one of mm-hmm. those uh white goddess kind of um sacred woods um but it was just mm-hmm. it made me realize that it it was also in other parts so i'd suddenly realized Okay, well, it's it's also in the series. Uh, was it Teen Wolf? They were yeah. they were forever spilling mountain ash places. They drew a circle where they yeah. make things out of it, and the evil magical things and people and stuff can't cross it. Yeah, and then that the, the seems to be a huge part of um, as a defense against witchcraft um, in the kind of historical lore of Rowan, um, partly because there are. Um, on each of the berries, you get the a five-pointed star that comes out the top where the um, the bit of tree, le- you know, connects to it. And then there's also, mm-hmm. um, but what I found quite interesting was the original story of how for the Greeks how the ro- how the Rowan tree was born. Um, there's a story about um, an eagle going to collect back something that was stolen and um drops of blood and feathers fell from the fell from the eagle um which the rowan leaf is shaped almost like feathers it was just all very okay it's all very one of those wonderful bits of lore anyway i digress um where were we supposed to be well is dracula is there anything in the tv show um, the miniseries that we haven't really touched upon or any occult significance to things? Not off the top of my head. I think the main, like you say, the main parts about it are, are blood blood sorcery is the is the is probably the most interesting part of that. Um, that series that has an occult feel to them. Because it's blood sorcery that has the knock-on effect in a lot of magical um, work that I've seen with people having problems with past lives and stuff. And and what I refer to as you've got um, hereditary conditions, but then there's also hereditary magical conditions. Yeah. (laughs) So you've got medical conditions, but then there are magical conditions. Um, But things like that, that does have a knock-on effect. And it is that blood sorcery in Dracula or the blood stuff that happens in Dracula affects the natural order of things. So it does seem that the afflicted, the people that Dracula feeds off of, the stuff where their blood's used and this weird kind of unnatural-esque kind of thing has a knock-on effect, which obviously they don't die, they just kind of stay there in their in their coffins and stuff like that, or just burn to a crisp technically kind of almost alive undead they say don't they yeah but yeah i mean it's it's an interesting thing because i see that a lot of blood sorcery does have that effect that's why it's quite it can be a dangerous thing to meddle with i've never met a blood sorcerer or sorcerer that uses a lot of blood magic that ever says yeah this is one of those things you can pick up and put back down again it's definitely a committed path yeah definitely tinkering with that energy force and I'm not saying that it's necessarily super powerful or the most powerful no. or anything like that. 
but you're tinkering with a part of the system that is going that to is going to have a knock-on effect it's it's corruptible yeah. is i think is the issue yeah. is that it's physical yeah. corruption is is possible if it's done incorrectly um yeah. then again like you say it's one of those parts of of um the crafts or different modalities that we don't particularly use ourselves um not in this life anyway no i just i, I find too, there's too many in some ways limitations to what's capable with the blood or too many things that can but go wrong not, it takes so basically if we were to do simple mundane-esque magic money love spells that kind of things for clients fixing a problem you're going to use easier form yeah so it's not the easiest form to use no also if you want to do something big and hardcore <laughs> bless you then you're you're gonna be it's probably not gonna be enough and if it is there are other easier ways of doing it i think it's just because our paradigm is that we don't work with things that it's useful for or yeah, really the most efficient way of using it for yeah although you have a certain someone that's got a little bit a client that's uh, had a little bit of problem with blood magic but i don't think we best talk about that now because there's a podcast in itself we'll have to do one on blood <laughs> we, I, I think we must have put one somewhere because obviously there's the interesting stuff that even uh, even confuses the quinius porcupinus um oh with the blood locks um, he who must not be named. He who must not be named. Um, yeah, the, the, obviously, even he's kind of butted heads with me about bloodlocks in the past. Um, so, oh, was he? So, yeah, so I, I guess... Oh, OK. So I guess there's, um, a, a, there's definitely room for at least a whole podcast, if not a series, on blood magic. But... Well, if we don't have anything in the uh, on the list of ones to do, I'll add it. OK. Okay. Um, but no, I don't think I've got anything that wouldn't turn into a mini lecture about blood magic to say about <laughs> about Dracula. So it's probably a safe place to leave it unless you've got anything else to add. Not really. Not that what I can. Nothing I can think of. The only thing I can say is beware of the night, children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, following you home from the cemetery because those little night children they do like to follow them uh people home if, if you watch the dracula thing you'll understand and of course i will just leave it on blood is lives 